Good morning. Does anybody here like to wait on things? One person so far? All right, good. Waiting can be challenging at times. It can also be, it can be okay sometimes because sometimes things are worth the wait. There was, uh, I saw a video, I saw it on Instagram Reels. I think it happened on TikTok first, uh, but I don't have TikTok because I'm old. Um, er, but I didn't see it on Facebook, so I'm not that old. Anyway, the video was about a guy who was delayed at the airport. He was traveling home from Oklahoma City to Charlotte, and he gets delayed for a mechanical issue on the plane. Now, I traveled a lot, and I was always for them delaying for a mechanical issue on the plane. However, if I was going home, it would still frustrate the heck out of me because I wanted to get home at that point. And so this guy, he was, he was good. He, he was traveling for work. And so he decided he was like, well, I'm just going to go hang out at Starbucks and take time there because it had gotten delayed a couple times, gotten pushed back a couple times. But eventually it got delayed so many times that even Starbucks closed and kicked him out. And so he's like, okay, well, I'll go somewhere else. And so he does. 18 hours that plane was delayed. But they had to fly it to Charlotte because they needed, they needed the plane in Charlotte and the crew. 18 hours. So they finally called for boarding. And he goes up, and there's nobody there. And he's like, am I late? Am I, what happened? And the gate agent is like, nope, you're the only one here. And he's like, what? This is kind of awesome. It was. He was the only person that flew on that plane, aside from the four people that were in the cabin crew and the two uh, pilot and co-pilot and everything. And he had that whole plane to himself, got to sit in first class, weirdly enough. The, the, the cabin crew loves it because they, they don't have to worry about taking care of anybody <laughs> but him. But they had a good time with it. They, they had fun doing all of the safety regulations and all that. And they, they kind of all became friends at that point. And sometimes, sometimes, waiting is, is worth it. I would have loved to have flown on my own plane, um, especially to Charlotte, because Charlotte's a terrible airport, but if you've ever been there. But anyway, waiting, it can be difficult sometimes. And the scriptures that we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the apostles, and who are the closest followers of Jesus, and they are waiting for something. And they're going to be told to wait for something as well. Like Jeff said, we're going to start a, a new series on the book of Acts, and we're only going to do a, a part of it, but we're, it's called The Church on the Move, and we're going to spend 11 weeks. We're going to actually look at the first seven chapters of the book, and maybe one other one after uh, chapter seven, but, and really, they're going to be in Jerusalem most of the time, and before the church gets scattered, that's kind of going to be our, our roadmap for this. And I'm excited to study this. Acts, I think, is, is practical, and especially as we talked about last week, as we're moving into 2024 and some things that we can kind of refocus on with the church. I don't think it's ever a bad thing to go back and see how the early church did things. I mean, that's, that's why the Christian church, the restoration movement, that's kind of why we are who we are, is because we want to get things back to the way that the early church did it as best we can. Obviously, they didn't have lights and beautiful PowerPoint presentations or things like that, but, but as best we can, we try and do that. So 
If you've got your Bibles, you want to open them to Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. And just going to start in verses 1 through 3. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And whenever we start a new book, I always like to look at the background information. Jeff talked a little bit about that as well. But we know that the author is Luke, or we surmise that the author is Luke. Luke was a doctor. He spent time with the Apostle Paul. And he's also an author, as we see. And he's very meticulous meticulous in how he writes. And he did a lot of research, and we see that in both Luke and Acts. And so he wrote the Gospel of Luke, third Gospel. That's what he talks about when he says, my former book. Acts is really a part two to Luke's part one. Now, he's writing to a specific person as well. This person is named Theophilus. Theophilus, he describes him or he gives him kind of a title. He says, you know, most excellent Theophilus back in in Luke and in, in the Gospel of Luke. And so that gives us an idea, a hint, that Theophilus probably has some money, has some wealth, and he is he's a a patron for Luke. He's likely paying for Luke to go off and write these accounts to he's taking care of his expenses and everything like that. His name, if you think break it down in Greek, Theo, which would mean God, uh, Philo, which would be love or brotherly love. You know, if you think like Philadelphia, it's brotherly love. So his name would mean like friend of God, um, like brotherly love of God or dear to God, things like that. Now, contextually, the story so far, he writes, in my former book, I wrote all that Jesus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. That's the most concise summary of a gospel account ever, I think, because that's exactly what he talked about, right? He talked about Jesus and his life in the gospel of Luke. He talked about his birth, his, his life. He had the little account in there of when Jesus was like a teenager or 12 and, and stayed at the temple while his parents left him. Um, you know, he had his teachings. He had the miracles, the arrest, the crucifixion and probably most importantly, the resurrection. And now we are in where the two books kind of overlap a little bit, and that is in the post-resurrection of Jesus, where Jesus is appearing to his apostles, who are 11 in number now. And in verse 3, it says that after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So he's presenting himself to them, giving proofs that he is alive. So a couple things to consider. Imagine if you're with the apostles and all of a sudden the teacher that you've been following for three years, who you saw nailed to a cross and then thrown into a tomb, dead. Not thrown in, but placed into a tomb, dead. You know, all of a sudden he's there and alive. You're like shocked, right? Like I, I would think that would be shocking. Do you not think that would be shocking? Okay, okay, good. I mean, you guys could be better than me at that. I don't know, but... But that's that's one thing to think about. Like, just think of how they would have how they would have felt. But the second thing is, you know, he says that 
Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Why would he need to give proof? What would, what would he need to prove that he was alive? He's right there. Matthew 28, 17, though, gives us a hint into this. It says that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubt. These are the people who were closest to him, followed him, and, and some doubted. Some needed proof. Think about Thomas in the Gospel of John. Thomas, my favorite apostle, because he needed proof. You know, he, he was like, all, all the other, the ten, they, were, they saw Jesus, met with him. Thomas wasn't there. They tell Thomas about it. And he's like, that's a little shaky there. Um, I'm not going to trust it until I can put my hand in the nail wounds or, or my fingers in the nail wounds, my hand in the side, in the spear wound. Not going to believe it. And then what happens? Jesus comes when Thomas is there. And he's like, hey, Thomas, put your hand, put your finger in there. Put your hand in here. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas, it doesn't say that he actually did anything other than he said, my Lord, my God. And he did believe. Luke 24, 39 says, look at my hands and my feet. It's Jesus saying, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. So Jesus appeared to the apostles for over the course of 40 days. And he spoke about the kingdom of God, which is not really that dissimilar to what he said and taught them before he died. Now Luke focuses on one particular instance here where Jesus and the apostles are sharing a meal. In verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they're at dinner. Jesus is eating with them. It's one of the proofs, really. Ghosts don't really need to eat, I don't think, unless you're Slimer from the Ghostbusters. But he eats with them, and he gives them a command. He says, wait. And he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Literally, it's translated, can be translated, stop departing from Jerusalem. So it gives us the idea that they're probably coming and going from the city. But now they are to wait in the city. But what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the gift that the Father has promised. The gift that Christ spoke to them about. In Luke 24, verse 49, he says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And we get a little bit more direct in John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. It's the spirit of God, right? The Holy Spirit. That's the gift. So he's explicitly laying out here what to do. He wants them to wait in the city for the gift of the Spirit. And he talks about John's baptism with this. Baptism of water. A beautiful symbol of being dead in Christ. Or being dead to this life and being raised in Christ. In a few days... He says they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, baptism, the Greek word baptizo, means immersion. Being immersed with the Holy Spirit. And his power. And it happens in a few days. Not right then, because Jesus had said before in John 16, verse 7, that he needed to leave. He says, very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. And unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So with the apostles being baptized with the Holy Spirit, Jesus moves to give them one final command. Although they did have a a, a little bit of a question at first. Verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I love the NBC show Parks and Recreation. It was a great, funny show, kind of like The Office, where it was a mockumentary kind of thing, following a parks department Parks and Recreation Department in Pawnee, Indiana. Not a real place, apparently. It's sad. But there's one episode that's titled End of the World. And in that episode, there are these, there's a group of people who are called the Reasonableists. Or, as they are known by some of the people in the town, as Zorpies. Because they follow Zorp the Surveyor. Who apparently was a lizard with volcano breath that would melt your skin off. It's good times. What they did, though, is they they reserved the park for their meeting because they were celebrating that the end of the world was coming. Zorp was coming, and he was going to, you know, basically destroy everything. And they had the dates that their leader had surmised for when he was going to come. But, of course, the end doesn't come at this point. The episode goes on, doesn't happen. And they, they all go home. Till a little bit later, the, the leader goes back to Leslie Nope, who is the, the assistant director of the Parks Department, I think. And he's, he's telling her, you know what, we need to reserve the park for another date. I, I had my math wrong. And so the date was not right. It, it's... It's really May 19th, and so she's got her calendar up. She looks, she's like, oh, sorry, there's, a, there's an ice cream social on May 19th. And it's like, oh, no, 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 I misspoke. It's May 20th. The question from the apostles to the Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's not a bad question, right? But it's a bad, not a bad, it's, it's just the wrong focus. Because if you, if you think about it, throughout Jesus' ministry, many thought as the Messiah, he would come as the conquering king, right? That he would overthrow specifically the Roman Empire, which is what Israel was under control, was the Roman Empire. And, and so they thought that, that he was coming to free them from Israel. And the thing that happens here is like, that's kind of where their mind goes back to. It's like, well, Jesus, you died, you came back, so surely now is the time. But it wasn't. Jesus was pretty clear. He says, you know, we're not to know the dates and the times of when the end will come. Matthew twenty four thirty six says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. 
And I don't think that's changed today. I think it's kind of pointless to guess at the times. I'm not saying that we can't look at the world and know that we are closer today than we've ever been, because that's how time works. But we're closer to the end than we've been, but we don't know when it's going to happen. Right? I mean, for the past 2,000 years since Jesus returned, I'm pretty sure every generation has thought that we're in the end times. And so whether it happens in our lifetime or not, really doesn't matter. What really matters is that we do know that it will happen and that Christ will return. And we have a hopeful expectation for that, that we are prepared for it, that we are not idle, but we are working knowing that Christ one day will return. Jesus continues in verse 8 in Acts 1. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like Jeff was saying, this is part of the, kind of part of the Great Commission. Maybe like an addendum to it, a little bit more focus. Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So for this part, though, Jesus is kind of giving a little bit more information. You know, he says that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to give you power. And this power is not of yourself. It's not our power. It's God's power. It's the Spirit's power working through us. But what's the role to be? They are to be witnesses for Christ. Witnesses for Christ. What, what's, what's a witness do? Right? They're, they're able to give an account of something that they've seen, been a part of, something that's happened. They witness to it. Right? If you bring a witness into a trial, you're, you're getting their take on what's happened. And so the apostles would be witnesses for Christ that he is who he says he is, who he claims he is, the Messiah, the Savior. And they do that because they've been around his ministry you know, for three years. They've been with him, his ministry. They've seen his miracles. They witnessed his death and his burial and now his resurrection. And when somebody could challenge them, they were like, well, don't just take my word for it. Talk to all of these hundreds of other people who also saw Jesus after he came back from the dead. Forty days after the resurrection, that's what Jesus did. He went around to different people. He, he spoke with them. He ate with them. He taught them. And so they are to be witnesses for him. And where are they supposed to go? They're supposed to go to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, the city level, local. Judea and Samaria, it's kind of a regional, it's their country, really. That's how they would have talked about it. Judea was not just the southern part of Israel, but it was the southern part and the northern part where Galilee is. And then Samaria is separating the two. And so when Jesus is saying Judea and Samaria, it's like Israel. And then to the ends of the earth, which is the global. 
Rome in particular. And that's what we see portrayed in the book of Acts. We see Jerusalem. That's what we're going to really focus on in the next few months is the ministry to Jerusalem and how the church really started. We're going to see, or we won't see, but you can read after that in the Judea and Samaria part. That's really kind of focused on Peter's ministry. And then the ends of the earth, the, sh- the focus shifts to Paul as he goes up into Asia Minor and into Greece. But ultimately, where does he end up? Rome, where he is imprisoned, and that's where Acts ends, is with Paul in prison in Rome, but preaching the word. So Jesus has given them their mission, what their focus is going to be on, to be witnesses for Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so now, they just got to go do it. Acts 1, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. This scene, I don't know why, but it just kind of reminds me of when you're trying to give instructions to somebody, maybe a teenager in particular, and they're just standing there staring at you. You're like, don't go, go do that. Like, and they're like, what, now? It's like, yes, now, go, do. Goodness. Like, they're looking at you like you're stupid. It's like, no. Dumb teenagers. I'm not in youth ministry anymore. I can say that. <laughs> Actually, I would say that if I was in youth ministry. <laughs> Look, Jesus has just given his directions, right? And then he's taken up into the skies with this amazing thing that would have happened. And a cloud covers him, and then he's gone. And what are the apostles doing? They're just staring up into the sky, being like, wow. <laughs> and, and these two men in white, angels, presumably, appear next to them. And they're like, what are, you, what are y'all looking at up there? I mean, can you imagine being the angels in this situation? Like, they're probably there the whole time, really excited for, for the ministry to get started, really excited for things to kick off. I'm presuming here, I don't really know. But, but then Jesus leaves, and they're like, yeah, let's go, let's get to work. And then the guys are just standing there looking. And they're like, what? what is happening? What are you guys doing? You know, implicitly, it seems like they're saying something along the lines of, like, don't just stand there gaping. Like, he gave you something to do. He's going to return the same way that he left, but you've got work to do before he comes back. And that's why it's good. I think that we don't have a specific date for when Jesus is going to return. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was in school and I was given an assignment, a, a due date for my assignment... I know some students in this. I will not look at them in particular, so I'll look this way to you guys. Because <laughs> they're, they're over there. <laughs> I know some of them, though. You know, when you get a due date, it's like, I've got all this time beforehand. I'm going to wait right until the night before it's due to get started on a five to ten page paper. Why not? I work better under pressure. That's what I told myself. I flunked out of college. <laughs> It's not good. It's not, I don't do that anymore. I, I don't 
I don't write my sermons that way. I break it up into little chunks because that's a better way to go. But that's why I think it's good that we don't have the date because we'd probably wait until the day before to be like, everybody needs to come to Jesus right now. He's coming tomorrow. That seems like it's going to work well. Yeah. But the apostles had their instructions from Jesus, and now they needed to go and needed to work. First, they needed to wait, though. But we're going to be looking at that over the next few months, this first part of him, of, of their working. So how do we apply this to us? All of this that we've talked about, how, how do we take what we've learned and apply it to our situation? First, we've got to understand that we too have a role to play, that we have really inherited from the apostles and, and all of Christians for 2,000 years. It's the same thing. It's to be witnesses for Christ. Now, yes, that is different for us than it was for the apostles. The apostles were eyewitnesses. They were there with him. They, they walked the same roads as Jesus at the same time. They ate with him. They, they were eyewitnesses to his ministry, his miracles, his death, his resurrection. For us, we're more indirect witnesses in some ways. We have Scripture which we believe is the word of God, right? And that it is true and trustworthy. And so we go to scripture and we believe. But God has also worked in our lives. And he has done some amazing things, I know, in some of us. And, well, really all of us. I know that he has. And, and so we can witness to that as well, what Christ has done in us. And how he has saved us. And so that's the first thing, is that we need to be witnesses. The second thing is that we have to have that hopeful expectation of Christ's imminent return. That he could return at any moment. It is so important for us in how we live our lives. That we live as if Christ could return right now. But it's also in how we interact with other people. C.S. Lewis once said that there are no ordinary people. By the way, I've been reading a lot of C.S. Lewis recently, so there may be a lot more quotes from C.S. Lewis, which I don't think is a bad thing. There are no ordinary people. He said, it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Every human being is an immortal being, although some of them don't know it. And that's why we need to be witnesses. Now, where are we doing this at? We don't, we're not obviously using the same, like we're not in Jerusalem, so we're not going to use Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, but we can use the idea of it. Think about us here. You know, we've got Morgan County, Monroe County, that we are very close to. We witness to southern Indiana. We can witness, witness to all of Indiana and to the ends of the earth. I mean, we're helping do that, you know, with our, our missions that we support. They're worldwide. And here, God didn't put us in this location for no purpose. You know, we've talked about this ad nauseum since we've moved over here, but, like, we did not know we were going to be the last exit on I-69 going north or the first one coming south. We, I-69 was not a thing when we came over here. But it is, and we are. We like, there's really no reason to have an exit up here, <laughs> but we have one. 
And we have the ability. We are 15 minutes away from so many communities. I mean, you've got Bloomington, Ellisville, Martinsville, Unionville, and everything else in between. That's so many people that we can minister to from our church. And so we have a wonderful opportunity with that. And so it's not just as a church, but not just as like the corporate body we go out and do things, but it's each and every one of you individually are able to do that. Our role is to be a witness for Christ with the expectation of Christ's imminent return. And so we need to get to work. The apostles had to wait. They had to wait a week for the power of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to look at next Sunday. But we don't need to wait for that because we received the Spirit when we started following Christ. He is with us even now to empower us on his mission. And that mission, honestly, it starts in your homes, starts at your schools, at your jobs, for you to be a witness for Christ, to live differently. Do not let opportunities to witness pass you by because they're going to be limited. But we have a promise that Christ will be with us to the very end of the age. And that is a promise that we rest in, a promise that we trust in so that we can go out and do this because it's not in our power, but in his, through his spirit. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we just so thank you for the blessing of your son that he came and, and lived on this earth to take our sin to the cross, to die, to be the perfect sacrifice, but then to conquer death through his resurrection. And Father, I, I'm so thankful that even though Jesus left to be at your right hand. You've sent your Holy Spirit to be with us always. To empower us. To, he is immersed. We are immersed in him. And we are so thankful for that. Because on our own, we probably wouldn't do it very well. But we know that you are with us and, and you can help us overcome those doubts or those questions or the things like, what am I going to talk about to these people? But you can give us the right words. You can give us the answers. But you've given us the best thing, which is our own testimony. To witness what you've done in our lives. And so, Father, we just pray that you would help us to go locally, regionally, and to the ends of the earth with your message. Because there are people, so many people, who do not know you. And if we believe in you, then we should be telling people. If you are who you say you are, and we need to tell people that. I just pray that you'll help us to do that. 
Father, we come to the time in our service where we, we remember the sacrifice of your son on the cross. As we come around the table of communion, we take this time to remember and to think about the, the, the bread, which was his body broken for us. And the juice, which was his blood spilled for us. And we take those each week as we gather together to remember what he did. We thank you so much, Lord. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.